fuckheads. Stop serializing your style and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 133 with guest Miguel Castro, recorded live Friday, September 30th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASPNet classes remotely online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who is having Dutch Tavern Deja Vu, Carl Franklin. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this is Carl Franklin here in Bellevue, Washington, with my co-host, my partner in crime, Richard Campbell. How are you, man? Doing fine. We're, we are here at the MVP Summit. Yes, we are. And I've had an amazing time on campus today. You know, the thing that blows my mind about the MVP Summit is half the talks we're talking about deploying Widby, which, you know, is cooked now. It's six weeks away from shipping. There's not much more to go. But the other half were about Orcus. I mean, their guys are right back at it again. They're on to the next version. No break, no breath, just the next version. Let's go. Right. And uh, did you see any of the keynotes yesterday? Oh, the keynotes were a gas. Bomber's always great. Although, you know, he seems a lot less angry these days. I think they switched to decaf. <laughs> He does seem a little, He was really pumped up. I mean, he was funny. I had, I don't think I've ever seen him speak in person before. I've seen Bill, but never saw Steven. He's fun. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he's really got it going on. And and last year, I'm I'm equating this to the BMVB summit last year, where Balmer was his, almost his ranting self. He was way wound up. This time was a lot calmer, but focused. The other guy I really enjoy was Jim Alchin, but I always enjoy Alchin. I'm a Banyan Vines fan, so I can't resist Alchin. No, it's uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens with the uh, you know the upper management at Microsoft when he retires. Well, and that was the other guy we got to see was Johnson, who's uh, who's Alchin's replacement right now. They're co-presidents, and it, it's going to be a challenge. You know, very different personalities. Johnson comes from a from a customer relations background, and now he's going to be moving into the platform. So uh, I do hope he uh, surrounds himself with some great people. He's got some interesting skills, and I, the product might benefit from it. But he's a very different cat from Jim Alchin. Yeah, he is. I feel like we're like you know watching a football game, you know, like we're you know here commenting on the uh, goings on here. But it, it, you know, you we have fun and we go to these events. But a lot of our listeners don't have the luxury of being able to just bop on over to Redmond and, and hang out at an event like this. Need, you know, nonetheless, an MVP summit, and they have to hear about it secondhand. But um, it, it really is a cool experience. And, and, and I would say to anybody who's interested in coming out here, it's it's accessible if you want to. Uh, you know, set up uh, meetings with some of the people at Microsoft. Most of the time, if you just call them up, they're more than willing to uh, to meet with people. You know, if they have the time, and and uh, it's a good, it's a really open place. I find if you get an opportunity to get on the Microsoft campus, go. It's something to see. You know, it doesn't feel like your typical corporation. It's way more of that sort of university feel, and everybody's busy and everybody's focused, and no meeting runs on time. But that's just the norm of this kind of place. 
It's very cool. Well, while we were here, we've uh, you know run into some old friends, and I know you spent the day with Stephen Forte, and uh, we've run into a lot of our friends here. And uh, uh, one of our new friends, who happens to be this week's guest, is is sitting here with us, and we are in actually the lounge in the uh, the DoubleTree in Bellevue, and we're sitting here with Miguel Castro, who has been a friend of ours for for quite a while. Hi, Miguel. How are you doing, Carl? Richard. And uh, we, we uh, well, I don't know where we ran into you first, but uh, I think it was uh, in conjunction with the user groups because you're in New York, right? Yep. Yep. And so uh, you saw that I had made a post about web controls. Yep. And yeah. Almost is, about a year and a half ago, I think. Right. And, and this is something that I just sort of dinked around with a little bit, but you've, this has been your main focus. Yep. Well, um, before we talk about web controls, why don't, we, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to, to our audience? Well, uh, as you already said, I'm Miguel Castro. I'm an MVP in the C-sharp area um, and uh, been a consultant now for about 10 years. I've been with VB for the longest time, probably about 1.0, back in the, uh, the Sheridan days of the professional toolkit, if you yeah, remember that. sure. And before that, even Quick Basic. So. VBXs. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> VBXs. And, uh, and, and I go as far back to about 20 years of other, other operating systems right. and products. Uh, I'm an old pick guy, if anybody out there knows what that wow, is. Wow, sure. Yep. I spent my time in PIC. Yep, an old PIC guy, university of data, that stuff. And then I got smart and went into the real world. Yeah, and I, and I know that uh, you've been really dealing with these web controls for quite a while. You're an independent consultant, so this yep. is stuff that you've developed on the job? or uh, uh, A little bit of both. It, you know, the, the web control thing is something you mostly develop on your own because the, the, one of the reasons that I undertook it is my area of focus and area of study and I'd like to say eventually area of expertise, but it's just such a huge, huge topic, yes, as you'll find is. out tonight, that I call it my area of focus. It's because it's very underused. A lot of people don't use it. Uh, as far as customers in the consulting world, they don't, they don't ask for it. Recruiters don't ask for it because they just don't know. And you can very much, very well build an entire site without ever using custom web control. So right. a lot of people just chose not to go into that uh, you know, area. So I, cho- I, I picked it up on my own and just brought it into my customers and my way of doing .NET development. And it's obviously helped you a lot. Otherwise, it wouldn't be oh, such absolutely. an interesting... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm Saved all about code reuse and component-oriented stuff. And web controls just brings that into the UI level, which is fantastic. You know, the thing, uh, 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 we should start off by sort of defining web controls, but also by saying how they differ from user controls, which I think is what most... ASP.NET developers use and Actually, create. I'm, I'm glad that you want to start off that way because when I do user, I do a lot of user group talks and, right. and like I said, m- my focus is web controls and it's mostly what I talk about and I, I write for Code Magazine also and I, I write mm-hmm. a lot about web controls and one of the things I like to do in my talks is just get this out up front at the beginning and right. differentiate user controls from web controls Basically, so then I can follow up by asking my the users not to ask me any user control questions. Yes. <laughs> because they just don't apply. They don't yeah. apply. Uh, even a question like, you know, what's better, user controls or web controls, really doesn't apply. It's, right. it's kind of like asking, what, what should I use, a WinForm or a WebForm? It's a different animal. So how are they different? What is, uh, well, let's start with use, the user you, control, okay, and then we'll never talk about it again. User controls are basically include files on steroids for those yeah. ASP, classic ASP people out there. They're, mm. they're miniature pages. They're ASEX files. Uh, Weren't they originally going to be called pagelets? They were going to be called... Yeah, this is actually pr- a, a little bit of a, a funny tangent. I, I've been calling them pagelets for a while, yeah. despite what anybody... T- I've been calling them pagelets, and one day on your show... I heard Paul Sharif say that in the beta one, Microsoft actually called them pagelets. Right. And I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So I was in sync with that. And I, I read I think, that in Dino's I book. I personally think it was a mistake that Microsoft changed the name of them. Mm. I think that's what's caused the level of confusion that we're at today with it. Well, pagelets is a much more descriptive name of what, For what user they controls are. really are. Absolutely. Little pages. They're, they're basically little pages. They're, um, some people call them um, web forms without form tags, Yeah. which yeah. is really what they are. They have their own code behind. 
Uh, they're mm-hmm. not. They're, they're great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to badmouth user sure. controls. They're just a different animal. Uh, they have their purpose. They have their use. Um, but they're not really reusable in the sense of you compile them to a DLL, you drag them, and not use at all them because they place. don't compile. They compile into the DLL of your website. So right. if you want to reuse a user control, you have to take the ASCX file and the corresponding code behind file of whatever language you're using and move it to the new site, and yeah. then it will compile with your new site. Hmm. Um, but as far as the integration of user controls in the web in the web forms, that's where they get a little different. Web right. control. They their components. Everybody out there has used the text box and the data grid and all those. So the stuff controls. in your toolbox, those are web controls. Those are web controls or right. server controls. Some people call them server right. controls. I uh, I call them web controls. Web controls integrate themselves into the page lifecycle of the page that hosts them, whereas user controls have their own page lifecycle. Oh, that's that interesting. In. So so when something is compiling and running, the user controls compile and run independently of the page is that what you're saying or they they don't they no, they compile they compile with the site but as far as running their life cycle starts after the page load event of their hosting oh, page oh, finishes oh sure okay so a lot of what happens is that because they have a code behind page which is a class of course they open themselves up to whatever object orientation you want to add to them including yeah. properties events and methods which is perfectly fine you can very well do that but a lot of people don't pay attention to where they are in the life cycle and that causes problems because okay. you may have a user control that is dynamically setting some properties in itself or some some values yes, of, I've of seen its this, content. Yes, I've seen this problem. And then if that user control is used in a web form and that web form's page load accesses the user control's code behind properties and uses it to either you know call methods or change values or whatever, right. you don't know what that user control is going to do to itself when it starts running. Yeah. So there's, there's a conflict that is waiting to happen there if you're not very careful with it. It strikes me that the timing suddenly becomes a very big issue. If you're yes. waiting till page load finishes, people can start messing with the page Absolutely. before those controls are finished loading Absolutely. up. So um, to recap the life cycle of a page, you have obviously public sub new, which you, you, I don't think the constructor is in the page. No, uh, that's by default. Why I don't think that's one that you really mess yeah, with. Yeah, you don't even page. mess with it. So you have page init, then mm-hmm. page load. Then, then page, your event, then the events. events then, well, there's also fire. the save view state and the load view state that falls in there, but that's a topic unto itself. And right. then you got after the load, you have the uh, the events that fire that cause the the, the postback to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. If it was a postback, if mm-hmm. it was just the first request, and there is no no events firing, then you got the pre-render, pre-render and the unload. Yeah, and so a lot of people. This is just a tangent, maybe, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't necessarily know why you would have a pre-render and an unload. But it's all about timing again, that's isn't exactly it? Right. It's if you want to uh, if you want to add something to the rendering, you you can do it you know before it before it renders or after it renders. Exactly. And that's why you have a pre-render and a pre-unload, sort of exactly. like a post-render, if you will. Exactly. And the user controls have the same events. Yeah. So you can get creative and do something in those events with them too. But you always have to keep that in mind when you go back to the events in your page. All right. So here's a great question for you. It might be a meatball question. I know okay. it's a great question. Why do you think it is that more people aren't uh, experimenting getting into building web controls? My honest answer, because you don't have to. Because yeah. like I said, you can write a full, and, I, and most people do, most companies do. Um, and there's a lot of great developers out there with a lot of creativity, but most companies that just have a staff of .NET developers at, at all different levels, they, a lot of them are on time crunches, and there are learning curves to this technology, of course. And they just need you know big sites put out and put out fast. And the truth is you can build an entire ASP.NET site, a big site, enterprise-level site, without ever right. doing a single custom web control. It's just not necessary. Right. So, so to follow up on that question then, why would you ever consider making your own? If you don't first need of all, to, it's a why? whole lot of fun. <laughs> That's the first thing. It's a whole lot of fun. Okay. Um, it, it's you know, it's just it's a very very 
it's a it's a very very cool way of programming first of all but that's obviously not um not the sure. efficient thing that a company wants to hear um the reusability is basically the big selling okay, point right. um it like every like everything else in .NET or any other language for that purpose for uh for that purpose if if you want to really architect it and design it well for maximum reusability and maximum yes. efficiency there is a slight you know development effort involved yeah. in doing that um, that development effort is, first of all, not something a lot of corporations out there want to deal with. Some of them want things out right now. So from an architect standpoint, I could identify pieces of a page that repeat, you know, where I'm actually filling, Absolutely. you know, like little tables with clusters of controls. Absolutely. That might be a great uh, indication that we could build a web control and reuse all that stuff. Especially if you think you're going to reuse it at a corporate level. And what I mean by that is in another site. Right. Because the first, you know, when you find just a piece, a piece of your site that repeats, your first inclination may be to make a user control out of it. I guess the classic example would be a, a typical like navigation device that a corporation would use. Absolutely. Like finding an employee yep. or locating a customer. Yep. Absolutely. That you could build up this control set yep. that would be reused on multiple pages. In fact, now you're getting into that sort of tools versus app building style inside of your company. Absolutely. The, uh, the little piece that I post on my blog that I think uh, got you in contact with me was I had built a uh, sort of a shopping cart control. Yep. So not really a shopping cart control on the back end, but sort of a, a, way, a table that had you know a product, a description, an item, a quantity, text box, and then an add to cart button. And then it would, you know, you could just bind that to a, a table that had all those things in it using like a template column and a data grid controller and yep. a repeater or an item, uh, a data list control. And that worked out as a really good example, but I posted it just because I found it so frustrating to try to figure out how to do that. I mean, like, it wasn't frustrating. It just took me a lot of time. It took me more time than I expected it to take to figure out how to do it. And a lot of the, th the things that I picked up weren't from the help. It was from reading posts on the blogs. It was from, you know, a little example yep. here, a little example there. And I found the, for example, the, the web control library project template in Visual Studio, yeah. extremely misleading. You're not, hey, it's, it's not misleading. I, I got to correct you on that. It's not misleading. It's, it's definitely wrong. I agree with you there. Yeah. It, it goes to, there, there are three, there's three types, primary types of, of custom web controls out there right now. There's rendered controls, inherited controls, and composite controls. Rendered, inherited, inherited and, composite. and composite. Now, the, the, they're not distinct, different, they're not I mean, how can I put this? They don't end up in the, with the same with different things, right? It's exactly. just the way they, that you build they them. They end up with the same thing, but an yeah, it's not like you're you're setting a flag that says this is no, a composite no, 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 control. No, no, not at all. Just three different ways of programming them. Um, I'll, you want me to go through the, the three? Yeah, types? sure. Sure. Um, the first one, for example, inherited controls. These are these are the this is the order that I go through them when I teach them in a class okay. or in a user group. Sure. The inherited controls are basically just classes that inherit already existing controls out there. Yeah. So you can very well take the Microsoft text box, which is a very very simple control, and write a class inherit from text box, mm -hmm. just like you can in the WinForm world. This right. is visually akin to the WinForm world. Right. And if you put that class, if you compile it and put that in your toolbox, you got a text box that's identical to the Microsoft one. From there on, you can 
add whatever you want to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the simplest kind of, of quick web control. And when you need to write something to just simply extend something that's already out there, okay. you would use this technique. The rendered control is the one that the Microsoft yes. template has. Which is pretty much a dead end, I think. That, that not, it all depends. It's not the one that you're going to be using 99% of the time. Okay. Okay? The rendered control is probably the fastest type of control out there simply because it, you have direct access to the rendering engine, to the HTML rendering right. engine. Uh, by overriding the render pro- the render method, yeah, and you're writing the HTML directly out there. You're doing everything in very small baby steps. Right. You're producing HTML. You're wiring things to the postback event handler mechanism. Uh, you're doing everything on your own. The styling you have to build the styling yourself. So, arguably, the most difficult style of control to build. Yes, it is. And, and with it, and, and that's why, consuming. and that's why I was I, I call it misleading because it, it implies that this is the way you're going to build web controls Correct. most of the time. But it makes sense to me that Microsoft built a template for that. It's the hardest way to go. But I don't think – I think I've always used that template. The first thing I do is that I add the web con- – the only reason I add that template is so it gives me the, in- the import statements that I need right away. Right, and right. then I clear the entire thing and right. I go with, with my own. So, so the composite control is the one – The composite the, the control cool is a, a control that has a controls collection, as all controls do. And it is made up of one or more child controls or a hierarchy of controls for that matter. So this would be your corporate navigation control, that basically. kind of thing, where you bring a bunch of controls sure. together. Sure. Yeah, you basically start with a table and then you create a table – Row, yep. and then you add table columns, yep. and each of those table columns has a controls collection. Yep. And you add buttons and tool. And, now you know, keep in the mind, at the, at, the, at the final level, you're always going to get down to the rendered control. Right. If you write a composite control that has five text boxes, six labels, and even a data grid, which yeah. is totally possible, yeah. you know, the text boxes are rendered controls because there's, the data grid is not. The data grid is a composite control. It's made right. up of other controls within it. Yeah. But at its simplest level, you're always going to get down to the rendering, to the rendered controls. Very cool. But it, it would have been nice if they would have provided at least a second template for a composite control, something to get you started. I, I'm putting together a code snippet for 2005 to shoot over to Mike Palermo on his site okay. to, uh, to give us a, a template for that. There's something confusing I found also about web composite controls. iNaming container interface. What's that all about? <laughs> and why do that's, I have to? It, it, shouldn't that be an attribute? I mean, there, isn't any inter, there are no elements to this interface. <laughs> And but you yet you need it. I, I don't know why they didn't make it an attribute. The iNaming container interface is one of those things that if you don't know that you need to use it, you will debug yourself to infinity trying to figure out why the heck your controls are not working right. properly. What what they are with iNaming container interface has no implementation. It's basically a, a tag interface just yeah. to identify the control. What it does is that it tells the control that when it names, when it goes to remember when you when you build a web control, the whole purpose of a web control is to render HTML, yeah. as is the purpose of ASP.NET. And when you think about it, ASP.NET is just one giant code generator on steroids. Sure. You know, every, the browser is still very stupid. It talks nothing but HTML, you know, along with some JavaScript and stuff. But everything that Microsoft has given us is just to make our life easier to write HTML. Yes. Um, the, when, when you write a web control, that's eventually going to render the HTML element counterpart. So when you put a drop-down list on there or a list box, it's going to render into select tags with option tags in the middle of it. Yeah. Now, the select tag is going to have its own ID. Your web control on the designer is going to have an ID. An HTML ID for the browser. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you're going to give your server control an ID that a programmer is going to, when they drop your server control on a form, they're going to give it an ID just like, like a you do a win form. Control, control name, a server-side exactly. name kind of thing. That ID is going to correspond to the ID at the rendered level, at the HTML level. However, okay. when you get into a composite control where you may have hierarchies of controls, controls with controls collection, yeah. you need to have, what do you call it? Um, You need to have... A parent? Unique. 
identifiers okay. for every single element. Okay. So you may have a label called Carl here yeah. and another label called Carl here in another web control. Somebody else might have written a web control that has a label called Carl inside of it. Right. And when you drop the parent controls on a form, you have to give them unique IDs, but the internal controls that they're made up may have identical names to other controls on the form. iNaming Container makes sure that the parent naming convention is tagged in front of every element. So the final okay. element has a bunch of names in front of it. And if you've ever viewed like the source... Like namespaces, sort of. Kind of, sort of. If yeah. you ever viewed the source on a data grid, for example, mm. you're going to see some of the cells on... You know, the data grid does nothing but render a giant table. And right. so does the calendar. Right. And you're going to see a bunch of IDs in there to identify the cells, the table cells on this table. Right. And you're going to see long names that are separated by underscores. Yeah. And then I think the, the name property does the same thing, but it separates by colons. And the whole idea is the to I abstract. Containers what does that for you? And you need to, the whole idea there is to abstract those names away from the exactly. programmer. You don't exactly. You right. don't care about those. Those are for ASP.NET's rendering. You just engine. care that they're unique. And right. That's what I a container ensures. The other thing that I found was interesting um, when building web controls was that if so, I'm building a, a, a composite control, and we can get into the mechanics of how to do this in a minute. But uh, you you create child controls. Yep. On the fly. Yes. You create them in, uh, you have to define them at the class level, I found. Well, I guess you don't have to, but you, I define mine at the class I, level. I define my, you're right, you don't have to, but I define mine at the class level yeah. for, a, for a specific reason. Right. And then in ensure child controls, which is in uh, a virtual sub, is it? Or is it a sub in the page or in the web control? That it's, in you, the way, it's in the control okay. class. So ensure child controls, that's when you instantiate the controls. And I found that if you don't put in an ID, set the ID property to the name of the control that itself, that like button click events wouldn't fire, for example. That's true. Yeah. Little, That's true. There's little things like yep. this. And also you may run into problems with state maintaining, with maintaining state, because the ID is used to pull things in and out of the view state variable. Yes. So and it is important that you identify all your controls when you're building a composite control. After I went through all the code to maintain state, and styles, it wasn't style. It wasn't state. It was styles to say because you don't have style persistence by default. You have to use the view state or something else like that to Correct. persist the style. And there's a lot of weird code that you have to do after I after I got through like saving the styles of five or six controls. I said. Uh, maybe I won't do this anymore. <laughs> it's actually not that complicated when you learn how to do it. The problem, of course, is that when you forget to set the IDs, there's no warnings or anything. It's just stuff doesn't work. Oh, you find not. out later that that's what was the problem. Was. It's one Although of those that's, that's nothing compared to forgetting the iNaming container. <laughs> All right, so let's go through the steps. When you, when you want to build a composite control, mm -hmm. what do you do first? Uh, the first thing I do is figure out what it is that I want to put in it. Decla sure. Figure out my child controls, and like you said earlier, and declare them at the class level. You're inheriting from system web UI You're web control? You're inheriting from control or .control. You can inherit from either one. I typically inherit from web control. The primary difference, the one that's really important, is the styling. The web control class gives you the style properties at the control level. What I mean by the control level is the container level. When you build a new control, you're building a container that's going to contain something else. Right. Now, that's those the elements that you're putting into it. The child, the children you're putting into it can all have their own styling, more than one styling, in fact. But your container itself has its own style properties, its own border, its own whatever background you know, color. Exactly. Font those size. are given to you. Those yeah. are given to you by the web control class. Whereas if you inherit from the control class, you'll notice you'll be missing 
the background and BG color and all those properties hmm. at, at your control. That's level. the primary difference, or are there that's other? the main that's that's the main difference. All right, so you inherit from web control, let's say, mm-hmm. and then what do you do? Uh, well, like I said, I, I build my class. Mm-hmm. I inherit from web control. If it's a composite control, I implement my anaming container. I get that out of the yeah, way. Yeah, I get that out of the way. Even right, to yeah. this day, I still forget that sometimes, and right. it, it doesn't take me long to figure out I forgot it. But it'll it'll be a couple of runs before I realize that I left it out. So let's say we got a table, we got a couple labels, we got a text box, we've got a button. Mm-hmm. So you define all those controls. Just you know, I'll define I'll define the controls that I need in the, the p- particular example you just gave. Um, I would use uh, the le- the text box, the label, and the button. That's actually yeah. a perfect example because yeah. I have a control on my site that does exactly that. Okay. As far as the table is concerned, in this particular case, I'm going to be separating child controls with some standard HTML elements, and mm-hmm. this more likely than not a, a table. Right. Uh, I'm not going to instantiate a table control for that because that's more overhead. Okay. I don't need a table server control. I can just use okay. regular HTML tables that I okay. build in, in the override that we'll talk about in a second. Now, you don't use a table control. You wouldn't create a new table in no. a table row in a table column. No. You'd like create literal controls yep. with table exactly and TD right. and TR. I would just draw it. Unless, okay. I, unless I, The only reason I would create a table control is if I need to build a dynamic table. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I would do that. But if I, I know, it. if I'm just going to position, I'll give you an example. I have okay. a control that um, that does your your typical contact us page. When you click contact us, you get a little form yeah. where you fill out your name, your email, and a subject and a body, and yeah. you click uh, send, and it sends you an email. Right. Yeah. I have a nice little composite control that I've reused a hundred times that does that. Uh, that's just made up of a bunch of labels and text okay. boxes and a button, and their configured their configuration is okay. is a table around it. Just like if you were to drag all that stuff onto a web page. Really, that's Usually the way I start, if I want to look at the layout of what I want things to look like, I just build it on a web form and then look at the HTML and see what I want it to look like. So the alternative to using a table and a table row and a table column is to use a literal control? Is that, That's what I was getting well, at. Well, li- the literal control is used to render HTML in a composite control. And is that what you use? To that's s- what I use, yeah. And what you do is that after you've created the child controls and instantiated them, and I instantiate them at the class level as well, Right. Uh, you overwrite a method that Microsoft gives you, the web control class gives you, actually the control class uh, to be specific, Called create child controls, right? And when you override that, this is what's this is where all your controls get built into your controls collection. That's what that's what I meant to say before. Create child controls, yes. which you call from ensure. Contr- nope, nope. I'll get to ensure. Controls all right, we'll later. get to that minute. Yep. So create child controls is where you actually configure your child control. So yes. if I have a label, a text box, and a button, I can instantiate them at the class level, but then it's the create child controls where I'm going to set their ID, okay. um, set their initial properties, or okay. all the properties that I want to give them. And uh, and we'll talk about properties in a, in a few mm-hmm. minutes. That's actually very important. And then I go and I actually build my controls collection. And the controls okay. collection is built, when you see the code, it's actually very simple. The controls collection is built by a combination of rendering your child controls and rendering literal controls. A literal control is an actual object. It's called literal control, and it takes one argument in its constructor, and that argument is any HTML text. Any Whatever you put in there is going to be outputted to the browser by the, by the web Directly. control. Exactly. So if I'm following this right, when you are tinkering this together, you start with just a regular web page, and you, you pull the, your, your, or your, a regular web form. And you pull your controls together. Then you take a look at the HTML, and you're basically looking at, well, what settings have I got here that I'm going to put into the instantiation events? Some, yep. Sometimes not even as much as a web form. Sometimes I'll open up home site, and, uh, and I'll just draw an HTML page. Yeah, that's what and I was thinking. wherever I plan to put my labels and stuff, I don't need to drag controls into there. I just put a little comment saying my control goes here. What I, the, the reason I start with HTML is because if I have a lot of table stuff or you know, layout stuff around it, I want to visualize what it's going to look like. 
instead of just going right to code. Right. And that's just one technique. Some right. people may decide to just go right to the code and wing it. And I've done that myself also. <laughs> well, it's a technique that would appeal to me. I'm prone to working exactly the same way. Noodle together the yep. little piece you want, look at it, you're happy with it, and then lift that out and put it into the, exactly. the system you want to work in. Okay, so create controls is where you configure, you set the ID properties. And, and all the properties that you and want. And all the properties that... Yep. Okay. And maybe not ones that are going to change or... Like, well, is there like, a differentiation between where you set properties, or is um, that where you set them? No, all? that's if you're gonna if there's some properties that you that's where you set all your properties. Period. Okay. Now, if you're gonna set properties that are not gonna change, you set them there. You hard code them, whatever you want. If you want a control that's gonna render something in green, why you would want you know that one color only is beyond me. But if that's what you want to do, you just set the color to green, right. and you never change that. Right. But you normally would set your properties of the child controls to properties that are exposed by your container control, okay. the one you're developing. Okay. Uh, and after that, you build your controls collection. You use the literal controls to draw the HTML around them. So you may start out with a literal control that draws a table tag, a TR tag, and another literal control that draws a TD. Then you render a label, your label control. Then you render a literal control with a slash TD to close up that tag. Then you go and open the next one and render your text box. And you're basically building really, really no different than if you and a lot of, a lot of listeners have done this build dynamic web pages. Right. A lot of people that are program portal applications know what I mean by building right. web pages 100% dynamically with nothing being dragged onto the form. Except for those literal tables and things like that, all of the other com- controls in this composite control are coming from actual control objects that you're adding to the controls collection. That's correct. Or the, or the cells collection or a cell and yep. a table. They're you your know, children, the child controls children. that you declared at the class level. Okay, so after that, in, in create child controls... Is there any place that you have to put them? Do you have to add them to your controls there? Do you have to render? What do you do then? Your child controls, your controls collection is part of your base class. So it's okay. given to you by the, by the control class. So you're adding, literally, control.add, and you add your children, and you add your literal controls and everything. Okay. And that's pretty much the end of your create child controls. Okay. The controls render method, which you don't have to override, will automatically render the child controls okay. collection. Now... In a composite web control, there is, there is a normal step in composite web controls because what you want to do is that you, as you've probably figured out, the building of your controls collection is the heart. That's the meat of your right. web control. Right. You need to make sure that that has taken place before you do anything that might remotely need a child web control. Yeah. And the rendering is something that might remotely need a child web control. Right. <laughs> so uh, uh, the normal thing to do is to override the render method. Okay. And you call the base of the render method. Right. Which sounds like you're doing no, nothing in the override, but you do one step before you call the base. You call the ensure child controls. Yes. And that just makes sure that before this control gets rendered, it's gone through the create child controls. And is that going to naturally happen, or are there instances when it doesn't, and that's why you have to... It's, it's going to naturally happen, except in the case of designing. When you design... It may not necessarily naturally happen that way. So when, yeah. when you design, you normally do this practice of calling ensure child controls before you render. That way, when you drop your control on a designer at design time, you're actually seeing the control render with all the child controls as opposed to a little near invisible little right. tick mark that has no visual representation. Okay. And so speaking of designers, that's one of the reasons that people like to use user controls is because you can sort of drag and drop and visually design things mm-hmm. not so with web controls no you got to like to code if you want to do so like to code so Absolutely. but as the technique that you just said is what you do you would uh first compile your d 
DLL. Am I, am I getting this right? You compile mm-hmm. your DLL, you add it to your toolbox, yep. and you, you drag, drag it, it right onto your a page. form, exactly. and there's your immediate feedback. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, and I'm right. thinking, you know, you've got to think carefully through constructed disk control. Remember to close your tags properly. You're oh, going to you, do a bunch of renders along the way and look at it. You're bound to the same rules that you are if you were to draw this dynamically on a web page. For sure. The Absolutely. nice thing, of course, is once you get it right, you can use it over and over and over again. You don't have to worry about yep. it. But no. if you get it wrong, you're going to be propagating a mess. Yep. Well, if you get it wrong, you're going to be propagating the same mess that you would if you were to just write bad HTML. Absolutely. Uh, that all depends on where you're rendering it to. For example, that this control may render fine. If you forget to empty a table tag, to close a table tag, the control may render just fine to IE because IE is very forgiving. It's not going to render fine to Netscape or I don't right. know about Firefox. I, mean, I won't be happy on Firefox either. Right. But the bigger consequence is that you're just looking at your page. This is going to be used in lots of other places. Who knows Absolutely. what impact it's going to have? Absolutely. You've got to be really diligent to do that rendering properly. Absolutely. So some people I can hear out there saying because, you know, I hear the voice of criticism in my head every time I open my mouth, you know. It's just a natural thing. Um, some people out there might be thinking you should probably stay away from using literal controls, even for tables. Uh, and just even though it's a little bit of overhead, go ahead and use the table control because, you know, conventions that happen in the future, you know, uh, XHTML compliance, this browser, that browser, who knows what's going to happen. Why not just push that down to the ASP.NET rendering engine and let it let it do its thing. Well, that's one argument. I mean, if you're a glutton for punishment and you want to really spend a lot of time writing code, you can certainly go that route. Now, the reason I tend not to do that, one of the drawbacks of composite controls, and I didn't mention this when I was talking about the differences between rendered and, and, and composite controls. Okay. Rendered controls are, like, like we established earlier, by far the most difficult and time-consuming to write. But because of the fact that you're accessing the rendering engine directly, they're also the most efficient. There's virtually no object instantiation going on there at all. Yeah. Everything you're you're at, you have full access to the HTML engine and you're writing HTML right out. So they're very yeah. very fast. You're also taking responsibility for handling absolutely. all those different versions of browsers. So absolutely, forth. this is now your problem. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> On a composite control, you have the drag of object instantiation, yeah. which which is a a hit now. I, I can hear those voices out there too, Carl. Sure, yeah. You <laughs> and uh, you know, now people are saying, well, you know, you don't want to write a, a big composite control because it's going to instantiate too many objects, or y- right. it's going to be too slow on my web form. You know, sure. the, the the decision the decision has to be weighed as to your. Let me let me put it this way: your site design has to come into the picture here. Yes, I've done some benchmarking, and as far as the difference between a rendered control and a composite control. In my opinion, this statement is going to get me into a whole lot of trouble with, with some of your callers probably. I think the, the, the difference is negligible. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's worth saying, no, I'm staying away from doing this because I don't want to instantiate too many child controls. Well, and maybe it's not negligible, but is it worth the extra headache, right? I so, don't believe so. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the performance of a developer is just as important as the performance of an application. One thing I've learned since I've started in, you know, with, with .NET and even started with .NET Rocks, over the years, I've learned that you know, readability and maintainability is more important than yep. uh, you know, a nanosecond here, well, a millisecond there. And, and that, that segues back to your question about using table controls instead of literal controls. I personally think it's easier to read. If you don't need to instantiate table server controls and take advantage of their object model, if you can just get away, if you're using the table simply to, delay it, to do the layout of your child controls, doing them in literal controls, you're, you're reading the HTML right there. You well, can see exactly what's going on. I, it's I, much easier to follow. I can understand that position. My position would be you, you spend your time writing the literal strings for the table. I spend my time instantiating and adding to the table's collection 
It can be six you know, in one hand, half probably, dozen in the other. Probably. And, and as a guy who's dealt with lots of high-load websites, processor load on web servers isn't the issue. I.O. load is. So what matters is the bytes traveling over the wire, not the number of objects being instantiated. I can deal with that. Memory is cheap. Processing power is cheap. Network bandwidth is difficult to deal with. It's the limiting factor. So I'm much more prone to higher maintainability code that I can write faster, tweak more often because I'm not spending so much time tinkering with it, and then getting beefier servers when necessary because I'm always strangled on bandwidth before I run out of horsepower. Both solutions are going to bring the same results down the pipe. The we end. may have just we may have just wasted fifteen minutes on a non-issue too. So, That's all right. so let's get back to the uh, the other issues of web controls. Um, what are some of the what are some of the, the coolest web controls that you've seen out there in the marketplace? That uh, I mean, we've we've had Peter Bloom on the show before, and uh, I'm a big fan of his controls. As am I. As yeah. am I. Uh, are there any other? I mean, besides like in, in the Telerix and the big guys that are doing these big suites of of great controls. Are there any other gems out there that we don't know about that uh, that you've seen over the years? Um, well, I was going to bring up Peter Bloom as an example because yeah. I've used his controls. I have a lot of admiration for his uh, for his work. He's done some really nice things. He uh, he does a lot of great. Um, his his date package is uh, it works very nice without having to post back and drawing the calendar on a post back or anything like that, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've seen a lot of little things here and there. If you go to ASP.NET forums and go to their control gallery, yeah. there's a lot of really good control developers out there just putting free stuff out there for people to try. Um, I've seen. Uh, let's see. Wow. Have you seen Telerik stuff? I, I mean, they're I a sponsor of the show. Off the top of my head right now. They're a sponsor of, of the show. We've used the, we use their menu for um, the .NET Rocks website. And they've got some really cool stuff that they're doing with... Um, I saw a demo of theirs at uh, PDC where they have a whole web page that looks like Outlook. And yep. it's using sort of asynchronous calls back and forth to do all these great UI things that, yep. y- that you, you, you really... Uh, you really have to scratch your head and wonder if you're well, looking at Well, a lot of them are actually that? until... Very Ajax-esque. Yeah, oh, but I, I, I don't really know if it's actually... You know, Ajax is in the web control, in the .NET web control market, Ajax is still a very new technology. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of those companies, I, I'm, I can't say specifically about Telerik, and I don't want to misrepresent them because oh, sure. I don't know. Uh, I can tell you Infragistics, for example, mm-hmm. and DevExpress, they do their magic using client-side stuff. Yeah. You know, controls, like I said, they're big code generators. So right. controls not only don't have to render HTML, but they can render JavaScript as well right. and wire that JavaScript into the HTML elements that they themselves are rendering. And that's yeah. how they accomplish a lot of their client-side functionality. That's how it, companies like Infragistics and DevExpress have the grids that actually have the, the tree-type functionality within right. the grid where a subgrid can expand right off a main grid. Right. All that's done with JavaScript. So, and we should also probably define Ajax, even though we've talked about it on the show before, asynchronous JavaScript and, and XML. XML. Yeah. And it's just a, a technology that's finding its way into web controls. It's finding its way into ASP.NET 2.0. Uh, at a know, very the, fast pace. At a very fast pace. The, probably the killer app is Google. Yeah, Maps. Google's Maps is the big killer app. But you know the funny part is that the XML HTTP call has been around since HTML4. You know. And I know you said you've been doing stuff with it since before.net. Oh, yeah, like 1998 we were doing these sorts of things. We just didn't go as nuts as uh, some people are. Right. So, so basically the whole idea is that you can make asynchronous calls that don't disrupt the whole page. Um, yeah. And, and we were, I was also doing that with dynamic HTML using hidden iframes. And, in fact, the smart navigation property of an ASP.NET page installs a hidden iframe 
and then it posts back data into that frame without having to refresh the whole page. Sort of the precursor to the AJAX phenomenon. So. Yep. There's, there's, and there's probably even more than that as far as solutions out there. It all has yeah. to do with how creative some people get with doing this stuff. If, you can, if you've done it before in an HTML page, if you've messed around, when, when I write controls that incorporate you know, a lot of cool client-side stuff, I, yeah. going back to what you like, Richard, I start out in HTML and write out my JavaScript and get everything working fine. Then I package it up. So yeah. there's, there's my point is there's probably more than one creative sure. solution on how to get that kind of effect out there. Ajax is by far the coolest and, and the newest in the, in the trends. But uh, I, I haven't done enough with Ajax to actually talk too intelligently about it. I'm looking forward to getting in the trenches with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, it seems like it'd be a good fit in the web control space. Well, it already is. Yeah. And, and ASP.NET 2.0 uses a lot of that, incorporates a lot of Ajax technology yeah. in some web control Makes it a lot easier done. to do. Absolutely. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. Um, another thing that uh, that I like about using web controls in general is that, you know, when people think about third-party controls, they usually think about, uh, oh, no, got to ship it with a client and all that stuff. But, if, but a web control, since it's a server-based control, it's almost a no-brainer. I mean, it's you install it on the server, you test it, it stays on the server. Yep. It renders whatever that goes out to the browser to do its magic. Um, That's correct. I've seen great stuff. Uh, metabuilders.com, you know, that Andy Smith site? No, I no, found this through uh, datagridgirl.com, Marcy Robillard's mm-hmm. site. Um, he's a guy who does who did a whole bunch of free controls. This guy had a, a, a slogan on his website uh, last year. I think he, he became more professional this year. You know, but the, uh, his, I guess he's selling product. But he used to have a slogan on his website, sleep the best 10 hours of the week. I love that. <laughs> I love Peter Bloom's slogan, start out with better controls, end with better sites. Now, this is a guy who's an entrepreneur, right? He's in Boston. He makes his living completely off of creating and selling web controls. And most of them are like That's why 50 he's my bucks hero. a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Good stuff. 
So what, what about you? What are some of the most interesting web controls that you've developed personally? Uh, let's see. I've done uh, quite a few of them. One of, the, one of my more popular downloads on my website right now is something that I call Gallery Builder, which is basically a three-step control. You drop it on a form. You point it at, an, at, a, at a folder. And that folder can contain many subfolders and pictures all over the place. And the control will automatically render, you know, it'll create the thumbnails once, not over and over again, and just render the thumbnail page and uh, That's abil- sweet. the ability to just click on a thumbnail and the picture comes up and then scroll through the pictures. And using properties, you determine how wide the thumbnail grid is going to be and the styling and the navigation images you, or text or anything else you want. Do you describe the pictures of the file names, basically, well, and then they show up? Or? <laughs> not, that, not the version that you can download now. I'm actually working on a, on a commercial product called Gallery Builder Pro that is based wow. on that, that has a lot of that extra functionality, captions and titles and metadata, you know, yeah. file and stuff like that and a lot a lot of other cool functionality and I, I've, I've already frozen functionality on that so I can get it out the door and my next version is going to incorporate the 2.0 type stuff you know the Ajax technology so that it you and know, where can we get that? Um, the free version you can get that on .net dude.com just go to the download .net section .net dude .net dude.com D-O-T-N-E-T D-U-D-E that's it baby dot .com <laughs> that's it <laughs> That, that control's gotten probably over 1,500 downloads since, uh, I think, April I put it online. Huh. And, it's, and I, stu- I, I still have a lot of open dialogues with people, uh, not only asking me questions, but giving me a lot of great feedback. A lot of the suggestions um, that I've gotten from users of that, of that free control, I've incorporated into the, the commercial product. As you were describing it, I was trying to think about how I might go about writing that. So you're, you're like using System.io, directory, get get files uh, to to grab the to files, grab yes. the file tree and, and then I use the drawing namespace to create the thumbnails very cool yes yeah, so you don't you, have to come up with your own thumbnails you you literally just have a folder full of pictures you yeah. point the control at it call a data bind inside and if not is post back check yeah and that's it that's all you got to do it's literally a three step process is post back is this also an issue with web controls do you have like the essence of a load a page load event in a web control? Do you have that same kind of you issue? You have full access to the page lifecycle, to the page events from within the control. But in terms of the control lifecycle, you don't, you, you, you it's don't not necessarily need pra- that. It's not standard practice to do post-back checking inside a control. Okay. That's one of those higher-level checks that you want to save for the, for the host of the control. The host being the programmer page. programs your control through the properties. Because the, yeah, that, control, that programmer may have good reason to not want to do a post-back check. Yeah, I can see that being very dangerous. You're starting yes. to do post-back checks inside of controls. Yeah. That's it's really going to limit done. reusability. Yeah, exactly it makes right. a lot of sense. It, it does. You know, you want to leave that to the browser. So uh, let's get back to preserving state and view state um, in particular. That's a great topic because I spend when I do my talk on web control, I, I do a talk called "Hitting the Ground Running with Custom Web Controls," yeah. where I go through basically a lot of the stuff we've talked about on this show, just in a lot more detail. And a great deal of time is spent on explaining how state works and how controls maintain state. Let's start with view state. What it is? It's been a while since we talked about this, anyway. View state is a variable. It's a hidden text field. And what it is, it's a, it's an, it's a base64 encoded hidden text field that contains just a, a plethora of information. And this, this, um, this information is everything that was posted to the page. Uh, in the old okay. days, in the, in the classic ASP days, if I can do an analogy that a lot of programmers will relate with, you know, sure. we had our, our form tags and we used the action uh, attribute of the form tag to post to typically another page. So, you know, you draw your text boxes on one page you post to another and that other page is what has the VB script and the ASP tags to access the database and do everything right yeah and I'd have nothing but code in that page and it would end with a redirect somewhere else exactly 
Yeah, exactly. exactly. But what happens if you have uh, some kind of processing that has to come back to the form and redraw your text boxes? Now you're fully responsible for repopulating those text boxes with the values that users might have entered. Mm-hmm. But remember, on the initial request, there were no values there. When the page was posted, now all those values are in what we used to call request.form. Remember that? Yeah. It's funny, we don't right. even use that anymore, request.form. Yeah. Now you're responsible for reading request.form and repopulating the text box. It, it just gets into, you kind of got this loop going to do things right in ASP. Uh, in, in ASP.NET, we have the postback mechanism that handles this for us. All of that stuff that gets posted gets saved into this view state variable, and it gets encoded and put into this one giant hidden text box. And when the page gets re-rendered upon a post, on a postback, view state gets decoded, and everything gets put back into the controls. All the properties get refilled, including the text boxes if the user has changed them. And that, and that view state travels down to the browser and back again. It certainly does, which leads me to the next thing to say about view... Well, before you say that, let me just... I want to clarify something. View state, um, to me, as I understand it, is a property bag on the server, so it's like a name value collection that gets serialized mm-hmm. and then turned into this base64 string. Yep. yep. The the not everything goes into view state. So a control can has an enable view state uh, property that can be turned on and off. And within that control, you, you it's up to you. It's up to, to the developer to determine what goes what into goes view into state. It and what doesn't. Absolutely. You, you can totally opt to take things out. And that's to, that's yeah. where we get into writing properties for our controls. Okay. Um it, you're, 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 and I want to say something else about ViewState at the end of this that I think is important. But okay. your, your basic, when, when you write regular objects that we do every single day of our lives here, you know, you, you, you have a, a pattern that you write for writing, uh, that you use for writing properties, right? You write your member variable, and mm-hmm. then your public property simply exposes that member variable or sets the value of that member variable. That's a pattern that we've all used for many, many years. Right. Uh, in a control, that same pattern is used. The main difference is that the normal practice is that we don't use a member variable. We use a variable inside view state. Hmm. So if we have a property called name, for example, in a hmm. regular business object, we may have an M underscore name as the member variable yeah. and expose it and set it in our public property. Yeah. In a control, that property name, instead of accessing an M underscore name member variable, it's going to access view state parentheses or brackets, depending on your language, you know, double quotes, name. Yeah. You just like treat it like if it was a dictionary, for right. example. Right. And in the set, it's going to set that view state to mm-hmm. whatever the value was. Mm-hmm. So the view state va- property itself, the view state variable acts as the member variables. That's the normal way of setting properties in a web control. Okay. Now, um, I've gone to the, I've had property, property handlers where I've used the view state to, to retrieve and to set values. And I've gone to those, ta- gone to read those things. And at certain points, you get null reference exceptions. Um, have you ever had this problem where, like, you go to access something in the view state, it's not there, you get... Well, the, the, it, probably not, because the, you're pro- what you're probably missing is what I haven't said yet, and that's the normal practices and the property gets of properties that you use view state in. Yeah. It's, it's very common practice to check to see if that view state variable is okay. there or not. So use the pattern, like return it to an object, test That's the exactly object right. for you nothing. Cast, yeah, the normal thing is to cast, and, and people have done it in a number of ways. Yeah. I think the, more popu- the most popular way is to cast the view state variable. And when I say view state variable, I'm talking about if we're, if we're saying a property called name, when you hear me say view state variable, yeah. I'm saying view state parentheses quotes name quotes end of parentheses. Yes. So you cast that view state variable to an object, check to see if it's nothing or null. Yeah. And if it is nothing or null, I, 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 what I do is that I just return a default. Yes. If, if name is going to be the name Carl for default, I return Carl. Right. Usually it's returned a blank, you know, an empty string. Yeah. Uh, if it's not null, then I return 
the view, the value of that view state variable cast it to what the property value is supposed to, uh, type is supposed to be. In, in this particular example, it would be a string. So in the getter, if it's not in there, do you actually go ahead and set it at that point? No, I don't. I, I, that's, that's one that's of the differences. That's a semantic that, question. Yeah, there. you can set it, but then you're, you're building view state. If it's not there, you're basically going to return a default value. Okay, you I'd don't want to... I'd rather return the default value than to set view state to a default value and then return that, just so I don't overbloat view state unnecessarily. So I don't, okay. if, if I don't need to put something in view state, I'm not going to. So okay. my practice is to just return the default. Okay. And if it's, if it's not null, then I return the typecasted okay. value of the view state property. So, so is that all there is to it? What about the uh, virtual members for saving persisting view state and also... Uh, you mean the save view state and the load view state? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to be said about that. Uh, one thing that I wanted to add is in, in regular view state-based properties like what I just described, yeah. in composite controls, which is primarily what we're talking about here because is what people are going right. to go do tomorrow, yes. um, one thing that you want to do after you set a property to the view state in the property set, there is a flag that you need to set called child controls created. And you want to set that property to false, and that's very important. Now, where is this? This is important. Where is this? I in the property this. setter. In the after property you, setter. After you, whether it's VB or C sharp, in the property setter, after you've set, you know, the, the property getter returns a value of view state. Yeah. The property set sets your value of view state. Okay. After you've set that value, you need to set the child controls created property to false. What that does is that that ensures. It's like a dirty flag. Exactly. That ensures that before that control is re-rendered, the create child controls is going to run. Ah, you know what? This is something I have not done. That is very important for design time. At runtime, it's going to run. The create child controls is going to run before your, your page gets rendered. Interesting. But at design time, that's what ensures that you have the good design time experience you want. So when you have a control on your web form designer and you go to the property browser and change a property that is going to alter the, vis the visualization of that control, you want to see that alteration happen right away. I'm and having flashbacks of the whole ActiveX user control experience of <laughs> design time and run time. Oh. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so now let's get to styles because this is this is some really complex code, especially if you want to persist styles in the view state, which is a common practice. Yep, right? and and you're probably going to ask me why do I have to use save view state and load view state to persist styling yeah, exactly. instead of doing a property? Exactly. I'm going to start by telling you. Well, it's first of all, let's talk about let's explain what you just said. And, the, the, and take it from there. The part of the page lifecycle, and keep in keep in mind that the control lifecycle is essentially the same thing as the page lifecycle because controls are are part of the ASP.NET framework, whether yes. people know it or not. You know, a page, the page class that we all use in derives code behind control, derives yeah. from control. So yeah. a, a page is basically one giant control, which is why a page has a controls collection that right. a lot of us have used. Now, the part of the page lifecycle are two events called save load, save view state and load view state. Right. Those are, they're incorporated into the page lifestyle, and it's not crucial that you use them in a control. However, there's a, there's a very good reason for using them. Um, you want me to get into styles here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. It's not that styles require over those over overrides to be used. It's that object properties require those overrides to be used. What now, I, uh, any object or a non-serializable? And serial? I'm going to describe to you why. I use, I use this example in a class. Okay. When you set a value type, like a string or an integer, if, yeah. you, set, if you have an object called Carl and a, and a property called um, X, you yeah. say Carl.X equals 1, what, what's going to get hit there? The property setter. Yes. If you say give me carl.x, what's going to get hit? The property getter, mm -hmm. correct? Now, 
if X is an actual object with other properties, so let's say X has a property called not Y. Not system object, but not, some other yeah, class. A, a class. Okay. Let, well, let, let me give you a better real-world example. Carl yeah. has a property. The object Carl has a property called font. Okay. And font is, is an, an object. object yes. And it has a property called name. It's now, not. It's not. In other words, by object you mean not a intrinsic value like exactly, a string or an integer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, if I were to write that property called um, my font is the name of the property, and yes. it's a type font. If yeah. I were to write a regular property statement with the type of font, and it's called my font. If I were to give you a regular regular getter and setter, yeah. and use the same view state storage mechanism that we described earlier, yeah. everything seems fine and dandy in the surface. But here's a question for you: If I were to say Carl equals Verdana, yeah, tell me what gets hit: the getter or the setter of the my, of the my font property? The getter will, because exactly. first you have to resolve the font, and then you resolve the. Yes. Exactly. But but that then that you just described, you're out of that property statement at that point. You're right. now in the font variable. Right. And that's it's only it's incredible how a lot of people just don't know that. That's yeah. why more often than not, a lot of these things are left the setters are left out of object properties because they're not going right. to be hit. Right. It's not a normal practice. Even though you can't yeah. do it, it's not a normal practice create a font, for somebody to create font a font variable, yeah. set its yeah. properties, and then set that font variable right. to your font property. And that that right there that I just described, it would be the only way the setter would get hit. But yes. if you were to say carl.myfont.name equals, you're never hitting the setter of your myfont property, right. only the getter. So therein lies the problem. What happens if you use the standard view state protocol I just gave you? Yes. That myfont value is never going to get put into the view state variable because your setter is never getting hit. Hmm. So you need another solution. And that's where the save view state and load view state overrides come in. Okay. That makes sense. So and that's why styles are... are Persisted styles in are, those styles are objects, and exactly. they're objects with multiple fonts and all exactly. this other stuff. So, so the save view state and load view state; these are overridable subs. By default, they do what? What do they? What do they do in their base implementation? So, basically, you got the save view state and the load view state. Those two methods get hit in the page lifecycle. The okay. first one that get hit gets hit is the save view state. Okay. And what happens there is that you need to build the save view state has a, a return property of an object. So it's expecting okay. an object to be returned. That object is what ASP.NET is going to shove into the view state variable. I see. So you have to build the state how you want it to look like. So that's internally where the view state gets built and returned exactly. to ASP.NET. Exactly. Now, a simple example is I just showed you how to build properties using the view state variable, a simple property like name, which yes. is a string. <clears throat> you, you can go the save view state, load state, load view state route with a simple property as well. You can use a member variable, m underscore name, yes. which does not get persisted at the property statement now, and you can persist it in the save view state instead. And what okay. you would do is that you would actually build an array of object types. Okay. And you don't have to System build an object. array. If, yeah, if you're only doing one property, you, just, you can just right. return. Yeah, you're, you're, the simplest thing is a save view state that returns an object can just return m underscore name. Okay. But if there's more than one value. But if there's more than one bar value, you have to now build an array. Okay. And those multiple values can be all sorts of different objects. So, they can be styles, other objects, whatever it is so that you want to So it's an array persist. of system.object that is also, because it's an array, it's also an object, and that's what exactly, gets returned. Exactly, exactly. And then that gets returned at the end of save view state. So if you've got, let's say, one style, and then you've got other things that are using the view state, you override save view state, you create an array with two elements, two object Correct. elements. The first one is what my base dot save view state. The, the first one is the, the the standard is to always call the base, All right. because you never know where your control is getting called from. Your control may be encapsulated somewhere else, or it may be inherited 
by okay. another control. So it's always safe to call base first. So essentially, that's called working end, and playing well with others. Exactly. And at the <laughs> end, so right. when, when you, th- this is probably one of the most confusing things I have to explain when I teach this yes. class. At the end, at the end of all of this, you're left with a, with a variable uh, that's a, an array of objects, yes. which can very well have in its first subscript. And remember that time? we haven't used the term yeah, subscript, subscript in a long time. Wow. In that first subscript, <laughs> it can have. Another array of objects from the base call to say view state, right. which of course in turn can go up the line to many more levels. Sure, sure, I get but it. But at, at the end of the day, you're left with this array of objects that's right. return and save view so state. So the first one is my base dot save view state. The second one would be whatever that's where your list starts of whatever a you need serialization to of whatever you're going to save uh, in in that view state Correct. value. So Correct. if I've got if I've got one style property, let's say I got a font property and a style property. Now I'm going to create an array with three elements. Exactly. The first one's the base. The second one's my style. Exactly. And and the fourth. So is that something I can just put the style in that value as an object, or do I have to serialize it, or what's no, the story? No, it, it, it all depends on the on the object. Okay. First of all, the the first. The, the rule of thumb for putting something in view state is that it has to be serializable. Okay. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Serializable, it means that either it has With to be tagged as serializable or it has to implement a serializable interface. Okay. So it has to be a serializable attribute. Now, some uh, property yeah. or variable. Object. Some, some variables <laughs> get a little more complex. Yeah. The style variable, which is what we base our styles from, is such a variable. The okay. style variable may do a lot of other things within it and mm. handle its own state in a very specific way. Interesting. Now, what that means is that, and, and this is where it gets a little hairy, Microsoft gives us another interface called iState Manager, which you can implement in a custom class. It's all coming back to me now. Miguel. If you implement iState Manager, <laughs> you're given the load view state and save view state methods. That's where they come from, iState Manager. Okay. And then what, 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 it, what this means is that a class that implements iState Manager can have their has own custom implementation state. of save view state and load view state. Now, when you, and the style has that. Style has that. That's correct. So okay. now when you're persisting style, your style property into the save view state of your control, mm-hmm. you just want to say equals this. You want to let the style determine how it persists itself. So what you're doing is that the, the, the normal thing to do is to set whatever, whatever um, subscript of our array we're setting yes. it to equals the save view state method of the style object. So does that mean you cast the style to object ca- to the correct. i state manager right. it's protected, and then so you have to cast it. And then do a dot save view that's state exactly and return right. that. Okay. That's exactly right. And Very by cool. doing that it's not a, it's it's more complicated than just if you were saving an array list for example, an array list is serializable. Yeah. So you can just say your subscript variable equals the array list and that's it. Right. But the style may do some stuff in there that it's it wants it, it, it wants to serializing handle its own itself. State. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you're and since I told you earlier the save view state returns an object, right. that's the object that we're sticking in our subscript. So now it's not uh, only the first uh, 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 exactly it gets it can get confused. <laughs> now it's not only subscript zero that we called base on that may have another array of objects. Now yeah. any one of them may have an array of objects, right? Because we've called a variable that implements i state manager. And be, and now that you've listened to the whole show and the whole description of all of this stuff. Now what you can do... I'm confused. I don't know about you. I'm totally confused. (laughs) (laughs) You can drink is what you can do. (laughs) Waitress. Um, Now what you can do with the armed with this information and maybe a nice little template, you know, like such as the stuff that you post on your your site and and that I post on my blog. I have every intention of doing that. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Now you can create these real composite controls that have styles. So like, you know, a text box can have one style. 
A button can have enough... Buttons. Events. We didn't talk about events we yet. We will. Haven't gotten to that yet. All right. We're running low on time, okay. so let's get to events. But, All right. Um, well, I, well I, need to, I need to finish up state. Okay. After save view state is done, we've returned that object. Now, that gets put right into the view state bag. Yes. Okay. The next one that gets called after the postback is completed is the load view state. Load now we view have state. to re now we have to repopulate all the properties that we earlier put into the view state back. Okay. Load view state is a function, not a not a, it's a method, not a function. It's a sub. It's a sub. Yeah. Exactly. In BB terms, terms it's a sub, it's a void for uh, C sharp people. Yep. And it receives an argument in it. And that argument is the object that was returned in the save view state. Which is either an array or a single exactly. object. Exactly. So yeah. now we have to completely reverse what we did in the save view okay. state. And that's that 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 right there is actually simpler to explain because I just went through the whole because you went through the whole steps exactly. you do it reverse. you're just reversing it now you're setting your properties to the values in the array that we set earlier so just take the show play it back backwards from go. here there you'll you have go. it down pat no problem there you go well that's how I plan to learn this stuff <laughs> okay so the other the only other thing is events and uh, let's cover that quickly e- events are actually in composite controls events are extremely simple and rendered yeah. controls they're a whole other show. Okay. In composite controls, it's no different than for those of us that have rendered a button dynamically on a web form. When you render right. a button dynamically, you have to wire your event handler. Yes. You use the plus equal notation in C Sharp or the add handler notation in Visual Basic. Right. And you wire that button's, let's say, click event, for example, yeah. to a method that's typically named, you know, the button name underscore click, right? right? In the web control, it's no different. In the web control, we wire, we have to do the ad handler statement. You do the ad handler statement, you have a, your button click event. And you have, exactly. And, that, and one that shortcut really that, you, that uh, I think it was you that you told me about it is when I define the event up top, I can say, what? Dim, uh, you know, I'm not dim, public event, my button click as... Well, no, 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 that's the second part. Right now, so far, what we've done so far is that we've captured, we have a a web control that contains a text box and a button. Yes. Now, that button is going to raise an event, but it's not going to raise an event to the page. It's going to raise an event to its container, which is our web control. Right. So what we've done is that we've put, and I put my ad handler statements in the constructor of the control. Remember, we're instantiating and initializing our control at the class level. Yes. So I'm wiring the event handler in the constructor. That's my own practice. I don't like to wire the event in the create child controls because there's always a chance create child controls may get hit more than once during a controls rendering. And you need it the happens. iNaming container. You also need the ID property. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I wire the event to, let's say, the button is called uh, button yeah. submit, BTN submit. Yep. So I have a method in my web control class called BTN submit underscore click. And yep. it follows whatever... The delegate is of that click event. Sender's object, E is event, args, whatever. Now that we've wired it in our constructor, when that web control gets put on a form and that button gets hit, that button click, button submit underscore click event in our web control gets hit. We get the, our code gets control. The control control gets it, not the page. Exactly. Now, what we want to do from there is entirely up to us. All right. If we wanted to raise that event up, to, uh, to the page, which is normally what we want to do, right. we now have to add an event to our control. Right. And I was jumping the gun there. That, exactly. And, and, and when you add an event, you use the, you know, in VB anyway, public, public ev- event, public event, whatever. And, and somebody showed me, I don't have to say sender as object is event args. I can say as event handler. That's actually the preferred practice. Yes. That's how you want to do it. You always want to use the delegate definition. Yeah, because you know it may change, so you're protecting yourself long term. Absolutely. And you're right. You always want to propagate this. If you're building a control that's for reuse, don't be doing stuff in those events unless it's really, really necessary. Yep. Push it up to the page. Let the owner of the page deal with it. Well, we stopped uh, We stopped putting uh, event signature uh, definitions in VB6, Carl, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of the that's one of my top ten BB6 carryover designs that right. I listed once uh, right. that, that a lot of people still do. So we declare a public event, submit click as event handler, mm-hmm. and then in our in the button submit underscore click method that we wired our button click event to, we want to raise our event. So you call raise event. Exactly. Raise yeah. event and you send to it the, the signature, you know, me dot eventargs.empty would do in that that case or whatever and the same goes for anything else any other event if you have a text box and you want to raise a text changed event and then propagate that up uh, anything a drop down list with a select index change it all works exactly the same way you control what you want to do you just got to remember that the controls within your control are just raising events to you it's up to you it's your responsibility to shoot up what you want a lot of times you may not want to shoot something up generally a well behaved control is going to propagate as many events as possible so that the ultimate developer using your control has some ability to Not, respond gonna, to things. Absolutely right. And I'm going to add some to that for those people that are going to get out there and start programming their own web controls. Raising events is going to give the user of the of the control as much power as possible. Uh, I tend to put a lot of different events at different parts of my control, depending on what the control is. I made, like for example, that email contact control that I that I talked to you about, the contact us. Right. That control has the emailing functionality built right into it, so you don't need to worry about system that web dot mail. Right, right, right. It does it. However, I tend to raise an event called before email. Yeah. In case the the sure. user of that control absolutely. wants to do something to that, so adding extra events to your controls. Pre- Adding a lot of properties. I tend to go pretty property crazy and style crazy. Adding properties and styles to controls, and I'm speaking primarily about getting controls out there for not just not commercially, but for 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 freeware even. The the more properties, events, and styling you put into custom web controls, the more the chances are that anybody is going to be able to incorporate that control into any website. You leave out one style and you've just you know blocked out a certain number of users from possibly using your controls. Right. Here's, here's another question for you. Do you ever consider, do you ever do this, instead of like exposing events and properties of child controls, would you ever just expose the entire control? No. Button? No. You know, this button, that button? No, so that I, I think encapsulation is an important thing here. What, what, that, that actually leads me to something that I wanted to say before the end of the show, and that is I, I tend to, I, I have a, a kind of a unique approach when I do web, con- I don't just do web controls to program widgets. Yeah. I tend to use the web control approach to ASP.NET site design. So yeah. I approach a new site in, in, in kind of with a web control mentality. Yeah. Um, a perfect example is, is uh, Rob Howard and the guys at Telligent, Rob yeah. and Scott Watermass, right. doing an incredible job with Community Server. Community if server. you look at the code for Community Server, the entire thing is web control based. Yeah. And yeah. The, the secret behind that, the, 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 the reason behind that is, is, well, there's multiple reasons. I'm sure Rod can probably have a whole show on listing his reasons. But in my opinion, number one, you can you have access to kind of a toolkit situation sure. where if you wanted to add just a part of their forums to your homepage, you yeah. can do so by drag and dropping. But a big part in this, and I, I, I would tend to think that Rob will agree with, he, with me here, is manageability. Sure. The encapsulation factor goes a long way. When you look at a site, and to, to approach a website in a web control type mentality is to figure out what that page is going to have. Not only how many times can you reuse something, but what part of the site can get too complex yes. and too overbloated with controls yeah. to manage at the page level. Yeah. And I may actually take that, even if I never reuse that, I may yeah. actually take that and put it in a control. Yeah. For manageability, just right. so I, so at that point, all I have to deal with for that little portion of the page, everything that I have to deal with is in that control. Sure. And it's, by the time it gets to the page, the page has virtually no code on it. Sure. And it goes a long way for manageability. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it really does. So, uh, Miguel, it's come, we've come to the end of the uh, of the interview here. You know what's coming next. What's the coolest thing you've downloaded lately? 
Besides my controls? Uh, <laughs> gallery builders, one of the coolest ones. Uh-huh. He just like the Microsoft guys. Uh-huh. You know? got a plug. He a- got a plug. Actually, the, 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 uh, of course, I was going to let you off the hook. <laughs> the, uh, the, one, the, the coolest thing I think I've downloaded lately, most everybody out there knows about it already. And it's, it's a little tiny doohickey written by a, a guy that I met in, um, in L.A., a guy named Jeff Key that wrote a something called Code Snippet Compiler. Snippet Compiler. Snippet Compiler. Which is just a very simple little application. I'm sure everybody within the sound of my voice has used it already. Uh, I'm new to it myself, and I just can't get enough of it. And it's okay. a very well-written, simple. You know, the best, the best applications are always very simple. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what, what it, is it? It's, uh, it's a little, instead of having, if you need to just take a little bit of code to test real quick, instead of having to create a project or an end unit test or whatever, Snippet Compiler, you write your code in there, it just automatically creates the background project and compiles compiles it, and executes it for you so you can see your code at work. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's a very, very cool little thing. It's written, I hope I got his name right, Jeff Key, I think, is the guy that wrote it. Wow. I hadn't heard of that. And uh, we'll, put, we'll, put, we'll, put, and we'll post a link to that on, uh, on the website. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Well, Miguel, this has been a, a fabulous uh, interview, for me especially because I'm really interested in web controls, but I know that there's a lot of listeners out there who are also... Um, what are you going to be? Uh, where are you going to be appearing? Any any uh, user any user groups? I'm or? doing a, on October 4th, which is the Tuesday after I get back from the MVP summit. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking at the University of Connecticut in Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had the website, but I really don't. Okay. Um, but the University of Connecticut in Stanford has a user group about That's an Tuesday? hour from my house. That's Tuesday night. I'm doing a talk I do on declarative programming, mm-hmm. explaining exactly what I just closed with, which okay. is using web controls as an approach to site design. Not yeah. just as a widget approach, sure. not just for little doohickeys. And we're going to see you at the Code Camp, right? You're going to see me at the Code Camp do yeah. that presentation. You're going to see me do my big presentation, the hitting the ground running with web controls at the Jersey Code Camp also. And what's the dates on that? That's uh, October 15th, Saturday, October 15th in the Island, New Jersey office of And Microsoft. we'll be there. Yep. That's right. Yep. We'll be on the road trip. And that reminds me, folks, uh, a lot of the information may have changed since you last looked at the road trip schedule. And I want to just encourage people to um, to go click on the link, the road trip link, in, on our webpage, and go to the road trip site and just check the dates and times. Uh, they may have changed again since uh, I'll say it again since we since you last went there. We've added New Jersey, we've added Orlando. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna have fun. And we're still looking for more interviews to do on the road. So if you've got some web apps out there or some VB apps of any kind, we'd love to talk to you. Whether it's 2003 or 2005, doesn't matter to us. We just want to get the stories from the road of developers building apps. So if you're coming to our show, by all means, fire us an email at .net rocks at franklins.net. Yeah. Well, another fabulous show. Miguel, you have any uh, last-minute words of wisdom you want to impart on our audience? Yeah, you know, one of the re- one of the reasons that I've attacked this as my area of focus is because this is really underused and not enough people are are doing this and it's one of the the greatest things that ASP.net has given us and yeah. you know, the, the folks in Redmond actually worked very hard to give us a uh, this kind of reusability, uh, this this kind of object-oriented approach at the presentation layer that we yes. really didn't have in the past. And I just encourage people to get out there and do it. Feel free to email me, and I, I can chat about this stuff for a long time, as I've probably uh, demonstrated already. <laughs> and I, I love to continue dialogues with people that I meet at user groups, and I get emails all the time, hey, look at this cool control I did. Can you help me out? And it's just a lot of fun for me. So I encourage people to just email me if they have questions or or if anybody's caught me in an error with anything that I said tonight, by all means, call me on it. I mean, this is a huge, huge topic, and I myself am learning things about it every single day. The website is .netdude.com. .netdude.com, and you can reach me at miguel at .netdude.com. 
Miguel, it's been a pleasure talking to you tonight. Uh, pleasure's been mine. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, we'll see you at the Code Camp and we'll, we'll, have a, we'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. You got it. Bye bye. Dotnet Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a toy boy, life is hard, pay my taxes.